Good morning, everyone. <laughs> My name is Cindy Wagoner, and I'll be reading today's scripture. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Turn there in your Bibles. Follow on your, the screen or in, on your mobile devices. <laughs> Again, that is Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is God's word for us. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Good morning. Oh, that's really hot. My name is uh, Dean Bobar, and I am the adult life minister here. And one of the things that, uh, if you know me, you know that I'm kind of a nerd, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So one of the things I like to nerd out on is church history stuff, because I love seeing how we have some 2,000 years of history of people who are some amazing saints and some people who have really messed up and let's not do that. Uh, just a, a full range of stuff. So I wanna introduce you to one man uh, named G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he was a British saint. I, I believe he's been made a Catholic saint, uh, lived at, for the in the latter part of the 19th century into the early uh, 20th century. And he was an agnostic. He was, he, he was one who was amongst the British intellectuals and, and he was a writer and he's this really eccentric kind of guy. If you look him up, he's got some really interesting writings. Um, and he eventually came to the point where he found Christianity to actually provide a picture of reality, a story to live by, okay? And the way that he found it wasn't through argument. This is, this is how he found it. Slides are going super slow right now. He's talking about himself and a bunch of intellectuals, a bunch of uh, former agnostics, those who aren't quite too sure if God ex exists. He said, numbers of us have returned to this belief, this belief in Christianity, and we have returned to it, not because of this argument or that argument, but because the theory, when it is adopted, works out everywhere, because the coat, when it is tried on, fits in every crease. We've returned to Christianity, not because of any argument, but because the theory, when it is adopted, works out everywhere, because the coat, when it is tried on, fits in every crease. So this comes from actually an article in 1914 uh, that he wrote, a, a public article in the UK. Um, and earlier on in this article, he says that the way that you figure out if a coat like actually fits is you don't measure it, you actually have to try it on. And he says, that's the way Christianity is like. This is the last week of our series, Stories to Live By. And we're making our way through a parable or two. This week, we're making our way through two. And we're looking at the parables as these brief stories from Jesus that are told to help us to enter into God's big kingdom story, okay? And at Christ Specific, we often talk about being rooted in God's story. And one way to understand the story is the story of God's kingdom coming to, to the earth, that God's gracious reign through Jesus is coming in a decisive way. 
And to experience this story, whether we call it a kingdom story or talk about it another way, the only way we can really experience it as true and real is we have to try it on. If you keep it at arm's length, if you just keep it an intellectual matter, if it doesn't touch your heart, you're never going to see if it's real or not. You have to try it on. And so that's how I want us to approach this morning's parables. But first, let's talk about where we've been. So week one, Pastor Peter talked about the parables of the new wineskins and the new patch, how there's this new act in the story, this new thing that God is doing through his son that can't be contained by the old. There's continuity with what God has done, but there's something radically new. God is once again going to be in charge over his whole world in a decisive way, and he's bringing restoration to all things, starting now through Jesus' death and resurrection. And last week, do you remember the, the parable that Pastor Peter, Peter preached on? What, 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 what was it called? Ah, some of you said prodigal son, others of you said prodigal father. Right? And Peter's message was, it's actually not about the son. It's actually much more about the father, his prodigal love, his reckless love for us through his son. And Jesus takes on the shame of the cross, just as the father took on the shame of running out and taking on the shame and embarrassment of losing all that wealth to his son. And it's not really about either son, either the elder son or the younger son. It's about the father's reckless love and how do we respond to it. This week's parables are all about the res this response to God's reckless love. God's radical grace calls for a radical response. God's radical grace calls for a radical response. There's no other way to respond to it. You have to try it on in a radical sort of way. And all of the parables are about God's big kingdom story. It's either about getting to know the king, the nature and demands of the kingdom, about entering the kingdom or something along those lines. And the parables often begin with the kingdom of God is like, or in this week's case, the kingdom of heaven is like, and they're pretty much synonymous. So this week's parables start off in very similar ways. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So there's, there's just a dude going along. He's like, well, there's a treasure in this field. No one's, someone owns this field and no one's found this treasure because it's just sitting here. So he goes and he sells everything he's got and he goes and buys that field. And then he, after, but first he buries it. He buries it like no one's going to find it until I come back and buy this field. And then that treasure is mine. Okay. That's the first parable. The second one, the he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So in this, in this case, he's actually going out searching. The man is going out searching of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great price, we don't know why it's such great price, but he finds it, and he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So do you see the, the, the similarities between the two parables, why Jesus told these two back to back? What, what happens in both parables? He sells all his, they sell all their stuff, right? But what happens before that? They find it. They find a treasure. So it's a treasure that costs everything. It's a treasure that costs everything to get. And that's what God's kingdom is like. It, call, it calls for this radical response. It's a treasure that costs everything. And this is how you try on God's big kingdom story. Is you have to be willing to give all of it up. Everything. And this is a hard pill to swallow, right? 
I'm just going to be pretty upfront. This isn't going to be the most comfortable message to hear <laughs> or the most comfortable message for me to preach at times because Jesus is really calling us to something very radical here. And to unpack this radical response, we're going to focus on two key words. First one is treasure, and the second one is sold. Treasure and sold, okay? So let's start with that word treasure. Why is God's kingdom talked about as a treasure? Here's why. Because when God's kingdom comes, it calls for a revolution in our hearts. It calls for a revolution in our hearts. And there's this debate amongst Christians now and in past generations, well, is Christianity more spiritual when it comes to God's kingdom or is it more political? It's both. Because it's this revolution that's ignited in our hearts by God's spirit and then it's supposed to go out into all of society, including politics. So if, so if you say it's just spiritual, which some conservatives have a tendency to do, or if you say it's just political, which a lot of those on the left have a tendency to say, you missed the boat. Jesus came to change all things, turn everything upside down from the inside out. So if we're truly to hear and respond to Jesus' call to follow him, to surrender, we have to wrestle with what do we treasure? What do we really treasure? Is it the things of the kingdom or is it something else? I want you to listen with me to what Jesus says about competing desires in Matthew chapter six. You can turn there or just listen. Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21. And then I'm gonna to jump to verse 24. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then dropping down to verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what is a treasure? What is a treasure according to Jesus? Hint, the answer's up on the screen. <laughs> Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So a treasure is that which has a hold of your heart. Whatever has a hold of your heart, that is your treasure. And this can be anything or even anyone. It's as if the people in these two parables have heard Jesus' teachings and they've responded to it. It's as if one, the one person's like, I found Jesus. No one knows how, how precious he is. I got to give up everything to follow him. Or if it's like the other person where someone's searching for what's real, what's good, what's true, what's beautiful, and they come across Jesus and say, I've got to give up everything to follow this man. They found the treasure in heaven and they're responding as Jesus calls us to. So how can you tell where your heart is? How can you tell where your heart is? Well, we get somewhat of an answer in the first parable. In the first parable, it says that he found the treasure in a field and he went in his joy and sold everything. He went in his joy and sold everything. And so I want us to take about three to five minutes, we'll say three minutes. And I want us to wrestle with a couple questions, to take a couple questions to ourselves and to Jesus. And the things, the, those two questions are, what are the things I pursue that bring me joy? 
and where do they fit within God's kingdom? Okay, so I have all of these things I pursue. Let's say there's five different things. What are those things that bring me true joy? An abiding, lasting sense of well-being. What are those things that bring me joy? And where does this fit within God's kingdom? Okay, so I'm gonna open this time up in prayer and invite us to spend uh, three minutes reflecting on this and inviting Jesus into this conversation with ourselves, okay? We're gonna do this a couple times this morning. So let's pray. Living Lord Jesus, it's, it says in uh, Matthew's gospel that you said that where our treasure is there, our hearts will be also. And so, Lord, we ask, us, we ask you now and ask ourselves now, what are those things that bring us joy and how are they part of your kingdom? And so, Lord, we, we take a couple minutes to be silent before you and we ask that you would speak as we ask these questions. And Lord, help us to continue this conversation with you about where our hearts are at. And Lord, may we find joy in the kinds of things that you have for us. It's in your powerful and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I encourage you to let that be an ongoing conversation with Jesus as we go on throughout this week. In our culture, it can be so easy to be distracted by all the stuff that's going on. There's a lot that's happening. And so I want to encourage you to ask yourself about what would Jesus say about your values and how much of your life lines up with those values. And I want to give you an exercise to do at home, whether on your own or as a couple or as a family. There's two places to, ex- to examine to know where your heart is. One is a checkbook. I don't know how many of you actually have a checkbook um, <laughs> or could even find it. Um, and the other thing is a calendar. In my case, it's a Superman calendar. Again, I don't know how many of you actually have a physical calendar either. Um, but they're just more for you to get the idea of, of taking the time to go through, like, wh- where are my time and money and commitments invested? Wh- where's my heart at? Because those are, those are good indicators. And it just takes maybe about 10, 15 minutes just to, like, go through your weekly or monthly calendar and go, oh, you know what? I never realized that I spend a lot of time on my comfort. What does Jesus think about this? Is it too much time? Is it, does he want me going in other directions? That's one of the things that God convicted me of this last week is that I'm much too focused on my, on my comfort. And um, yeah, so that's, that's another thing. But that's just an example of, of how, to, how to walk through that. So I encourage you to, uh, to do that or something like that. So let's move on to the second word, sold. People hear this word sell in Jesus' teachings, like sell everything or sell some of your things, and they get very uncomfortable, Okay. I know none of you would ever, that would not happen with you. But with me, I was reading through this somewhat, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, 
what, 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 what are you talking about? Am I really supposed to give up everything? Am I supposed to like, Sarah and I are supposed to go put our house on the market and just get rid of it and just give everything away? Is, is that what you're asking me to do? What, what, what's, what's this all about? The thing is that Jesus comforts the afflicted and he flicks the comfortable very often. And so if you're feeling uncomfortable right now, I, I wanna encourage you to not run away from it, to lean into it, to sit in it for a little bit. In the second parable, the man sold everything he had to get the pearl of, of great price. And in the first one, he does the same. Does this mean you have to sell everything you own to follow Jesus? Are you sure? <laughs> For Francis of Assisi, he was a saint back in the 13th century. The answer was yes. The answer is yes. I want to share with you some of his key biographical uh, information. Okay, something got a little out of order here. One second. Um, I had a... Okay, something didn't come up here. So I had a really cool picture of Francis of Assisi <laughs> and some key biographical information. It was really cool, but I'll just tell you about it. So he became a devoted follower of Jesus in about 1204 BC, somewhere around the beginning of the 13th century. And he comes from a very wealthy family. And he gets the call in the middle of a broken down church. And this is the call that he hears. He hears this from God very clearly. Francis, go and rebuild my church, which as you can see is falling into ruin. Francis, go and rebuild my church, which as you can see is falling into ruin. So he's, he's standing in the middle of this broken down church in the, in the town of Assisi where he grew up. And he goes, okay. And he, he actually goes and he starts getting brick and mortar and he starts rebuilding it. And then a little after that, he has another spiritual experience that makes him realize that's not the church he was talking about. <laughs> it wasn't talking about any particular building, but it was talking about rebuilding the people. That in his time, they needed renewal. That, they, that he needed to rebuild the church in terms of their imitation of Jesus. And so began the Franciscan order of monks. Amongst the Catholics, there's lots of different orders of monks, and they all have particular rules. And two out of the three things you'll probably hear and go, okay, like I can get on board with that, all right? So the first thing is they're supposed to preach the gospel. They're just supposed to be actively preaching the gospel all the time. Okay, well, I, I, can, I can pursue that. The second thing is they focus on a life of repentance. Like they really focus on repenting, receive God's forgiveness. And the last thing is a life of poverty. You can't own anything but the clothes on your back. And... Francis came to this conclusion that this is what it meant for him to follow Jesus because he was hearing this teaching on, from Matthew 10 about not having any possessions, this kind of radical teaching from Jesus about getting rid of everything. And he went, yes, that's what I need to do as I go out and preach the gospel. And so for the Franciscan order of monks, as they seek to follow Jesus, you want to sign up for that. That's what it means to be a Franciscan monk as you pursue that. And so that's what they did. That's, they would radically go and do that. And there's many monk orders that, that do the same sort of thing and nuns as well. So is this what Jesus calls you and me to do? Well, let's hear this kind of teaching that, that impacted Francis to go and sell everything for the great treasure of God's kingdom. If you want to, or you can listen, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verses 19 through 22. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
No, that's not right. It's not Matthew 16. I wrote down the wrong reference. I'm going to tell you the story (laughs) for the sake of time. (laughs) So there's a rich young man that comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And so Jesus says to him, you you know the commandments. And so he, he runs through several of the commandments and he says, well, I've done all those things for my youth. And so Jesus then says, well, go and sell everything you have and then come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And it says that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He couldn't do it. He couldn't give it up. This is the story of a man who who had many treasures on earth and could not give them up for treasures in heaven. And the risky part for us is that we are like the man in our culture. We might think, you know, I'm not as rich as people in Newport Beach or I can look at someone else, but when we take a look at what we have compared to the whole world, we are quite rich. We are in the top, Peter, how many percent is it? Is it 2%? A half a percent, just, just in Orange County, like top half percent. And so this is a matter of the heart. This is a matter of the heart. And for this man, he could not give up these treasures. Jesus looked into this man's heart and saw that he was treasuring his wealth and that he needed to give that up to follow him. And he couldn't do it. And here's why. Because there was great payoff for that wealth. There was prestige, power, influence, honor. Honor was one of the greatest things in Jesus' day, the, the highest value. And if you were rich, you were You were so honored. You had power. You had all these things. And he could not give it up. He went away sad because he had great wealth. To value heavenly treasures, Jesus calls us to let go of the payoffs of earthly treasures. To value heavenly treasures, Jesus calls us to let go of the payoffs of earthly treasures. What are the payoffs of the things in this world that we hold on to? Is it power, prestige, influence, fulfillment, satisfaction, a good image? Not all of these things are inherently bad things, but when they become ultimate things, things that are somehow above the things of God's kingdom, then that's when Jesus might say to us, go and sell everything, give it up. I'm presenting you the treasure of the kingdom. Are you willing to give up that which you're treasuring more than me, more than my kingdom for the sake of following me. And if we're really listening to Jesus, these kinds of moments come to us. Because if you look again and again in the gospel stories, this is the kind of radical thing that Jesus called people to. It's not about certain amount of money that we have. It's about what's going on in our heart and what are we willing to let go of. It's often much more about how we seek to pursue these things. Is it the first thing that we wake up in the morning that we're thinking about? Where does our mind drift to when we're daydreaming? What would Jesus think about those kinds of things? Would he say, you know what? Those are good things, but you're making them too much in your life. 
pursue more of these other things. So how many of you are still wondering if, that you have, whether or not you have to sell everything to follow Jesus? This week, I was wrestling with this question, as you can tell, and I came to realize that maybe there might be a better question out there. The question is not about what I have to give up, but it's about for whom I am giving up. Did you catch that? It's not about what I'm giving up, it's about for whom I'm giving these things up. I remember uh, a number of years ago, I was in youth ministry, and, and, and if you talk with Tanner and, and Jericho, they'll, they'll still tell you the same thing. It's if, if children and youth are focused on, well, I, I just need to make sure I'm, I have all these boundaries. What can I, I need to make sure that I, I know how far I can go up to the line in a dating relationship. Is kissing okay? What kind of kissing? Uh, can I, how, I'm using very benign examples here. Um, how long can I hug a girl that I'm dating? You know, all these kinds of things. But if you're asking more the kind of question of how can I protect my heart, how can I protect my body for marriage, that's a different set of questions. You'll still end up with some of the same kinds of answers, but that's a different approach. Do, do you see the difference there? And it's the same here with following Jesus. If we're worried, you know what, well, Jesus, well, how much do I need to give up? Can I, can I stop at 15%? Do I just need to give up 20%? Well, I, maybe we're not asking the right question. Maybe it's about we need to focus our hearts on treasuring and seeing the king of God's kingdom because where the king is, there is the kingdom. It says that the man in the second parable was searching for fine pearls and he finds the pearl of great price. It doesn't say what it was about that. Was it large? Was it just the right color? But it says that he found it. I remember when I was first becoming a Christian, I would share my testimony and I said, I found Jesus. And then, you know, a few years later, I realized he wasn't never lost. <laughs> but it's that sense of found of like, do you have any idea this person that I found? Do you, do you know this Jesus that I've just encountered? It's that kind of found. He saw the pearl for what it was. Are we seeing Jesus for who he is more and more? Because the more and more we do that, we're much more easily just let go of things, as Jesus calls us. Because it's not about hitting a certain number, but it's about this relationship, this love relationship with the Lord. And, and out of the overflow of that, we're going to start just giving stuff up. I think back to when I was saving up money to propose to uh, my wife, Sarah. Uh, our 10-year anniversary will be this upcoming Friday. And... Um, and I was thinking about that. And, you know, when I was saving up that money, I was going, oh man, I got to save up another, you know, I wasn't thinking that I went, okay, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I almost have enough money to get this wedding ring. And I'm super excited about it. Like I wasn't focused on what I was having to give up. I was focused on the relationship, this love relationship that I had with my spouse to be and my wife to be and the mother, of my kids to be. And that's the kind of analogy for following Jesus that we, that Jesus calls us to, to to pursue. We come across the treasure of Jesus and we go, oh my goodness, I need to, I get, need to get to know this pearl of great price. Why, why, is, why is he so valuable? And what do I need to give up to find him and keep him? There's a double meaning to this week's title. We've been talking about the kingdom of God as a treasure that costs us everything. But interpreters have often looked at the other way where 
Jesus and the kingdom weren't the parable. We were the parable. We, we were the pearl of great price, or we were the treasure that was hidden in a field. We were the treasure that cost everything. Talking about God giving up his son to get us. And so if we start there, that God gave up everything, we were the treasure that cost him everything. Then when we flip it around and we think of the kingdom as this treasure, we go, oh, well, if, if I need to give that up, he's given up everything for me. Why, why can't I give up whatever he's calling me to give up? So it starts with we're Jesus' treasure. And then once we realize that, we say, Jesus, you're my treasure. Are you, are you catching the, the difference there? And if you start with Jesus, is, Jesus has already made me his treasure, then him, making him my treasure is much easier because I'm really seeing him for who he is and what he's done. And so I want to close with us focusing on a passage that actually has this dynamic where we're Jesus' treasure and Jesus is our treasure. It's out of Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. You can turn there um, or you can focus on the screen. I'll read through it once just to kind of unpack it, and then I want to leave it up there, and I'll read through it again. And we'll do it with our eyes closed, and then I want us to focus on Jesus as our, as our treasure and us as his treasure. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd, cloud of witnesses, let us therefore lay aside every weight and sin, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So that's treasuring Jesus in the kingdom. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what's that joy or who's that joy? Us. It's us. The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, I can, I can let go of everything that's keeping me from following you. Because I was your joy. And now in joy, I'm going to give up everything. Let's pray. I'm going to begin by reading that again slowly, and we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. And I just want you to focus on the truth, Jesus loves me, Jesus treasures me, and let that ignite in you a love for him and a love for our neighbor. Let us pray. Living Lord Jesus, we come once again to you and we ask that you would meet us and we hear from your word this calling that we are to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, our treasure, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, us, his treasure, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, help us to see you more clearly now as we meditate on your word. Lord, you are worth all our praise, our devotion, our whole lives. We praise you that you took joy in knowing us and loving us. 
Help us respond in kind. For your glory and the glory of your kingdom, we pray. Amen.